Hey, good morning. I am super glad to see you. And I am very excited about this new sermon series. I believe this is going to be a game changer for many of you in how you approach the Bible. Now, the guy on the screen there is named Penn Gillette. He is a very famous showman and author. You probably know him as half of the magic comedy duo known as Penn and Teller. You guys ever seen them before, maybe on TV? They have a Las Vegas show. He's also a very outspoken atheist, very, very critical of faith and the Bible. And he once said, reading the Bible is the fast track to atheism. That if you really want to doubt God or have reasons not to believe in God, best thing you could do is pick up a Bible and to read it. And that's because according to him, the Bible used to be known as the good book, right? Have you heard that phrase before, calling it the good book? But people only called it the good book because nobody ever actually read it. (laughs) That if they had actually read this thing, nobody would call it the good book. That according to him, it's full of violence and racism and misogyny. It's anti-science. It's got all of these really weird, outdated ideas. And frankly, some of what it teaches is quite harmful. He points out that if you really wanted to, you could read all of this and discover it for yourself, but you don't even have to do that today. All you have to do is go to Google and type in Bible contradictions or Bible problems or evil Bible verses, and you'll find millions of websites that are devoted to helping you to understand that the Bible has no place in our modern civilized society, at least according to him. And in my personal experience, maybe this has been your experience as well, the Bible is a primary stumbling block for a lot of people. I think there are a lot of you that have friends and family, and the biggest reason that they have not put their faith and trust in God is because of stuff that they've heard is in the Bible. Now, that doesn't mean they've actually read it for themselves, but they've heard there's some stuff in there. Anytime I get into a discussion with people about Christianity, you know, uh, inevitably, the Bible will come up, and the person that I'm talking to will say, you don't really take that Bible, like, literally, though, right? You don't take it that seriously, do you? Like, that thing was written thousands of years ago. Those people didn't even know about dinosaurs or Wi-Fi. How in the world can we say that their perception, their worldview and approach to the world should dictate what happens in 2022? That's ridiculous, right? Besides, don't you all realize that Christians, they don't, they don't actually follow the Bible, not all of it anyway. They kind of cherry pick the verses that they want, and then they ignore the ones that they don't want. Anybody ever heard somebody say that? I bet you have. Do you know that Leviticus chapter number 19, verse 26 says, Thou shalt not print any tattoo marks upon thyself. It does. And y'all out here tattoo in Philippians 4.13 on your bicep, right? And people in the world are like, do you just not know that Leviticus says you can't have a tattoo? Or are you ignoring it? Why are you ignoring that verse from the Old Testament, but you're choosing to highlight this one from the New Testament? Do you guys know that your pastor has tattoos up and down his arms? Does he not know that the Bible says you shouldn't make your body into a coloring book? Like, why are you choosing some and ignoring others? You're not really taking the Bible seriously anyway. Let's be real. The Bible is a lightning rod in 2022. People have all sorts of ideas about what it says and what it doesn't say, what it is and what it isn't. The problem is most people have never read it. Most people have never read it. And the ones who have read it, maybe even some of you that are here this morning, when you approach the Bible, when you do read it, you read it wrongly. You read it with the wrong assumptions, the wrong perspectives, the wrong approach, and it ends up leaving you frustrated, confused, and not wanting to read any 
more. So we're kicking off this new series this week called How Not to Read the Bible. And what we're going to be doing is we're going to hopefully help you to understand and appreciate the Bible more than you do already. But I want you to know up front, my goal in this series is not merely for you to know the Bible. My goal in this series is for you to fall in love with the Bible. I want you to fall in love with the scriptures. I know that's a tall order. I know you think you would never fall in love with the Bible. So did I. But once you know how to read it, and once you really dig into it, you find that it is full of all kinds of amazing stuff that really does have the power to transform your life, your, I was going to say your wife, your marriage, your kids. We'll just move on past that. It's got a lot of power, you guys, and you don't want to overlook it. So here's what we're going to do. I'm going to give you a single truth this morning that if you were to grab a hold of this, it really would revolutionize the way that you approach the Bible. Now, I'm going to give it to you, and you're going to be like, uh, okay, just stay with me, okay? Here's our big truth for this morning. The Bible is a library and not a book. The Bible is a library and not a a book. Nearly everybody thinks about the Bible as a book, and that makes sense, right? Because it's printed text on a page. They're all bound together. It's got a front cover and a back cover. It's got page numbers and a table of contents. You buy it from the bookstore. Like even this version of the Bible, this is the Bible I got the day that I was ordained into ministry. It even says Reverend Dan Sueza down at the bottom. It's very fancy. Even this fancy book that looks like it's straight out of Harry Potter, it's still a book, right? Obviously, the Bible's a book. Wrong. The Bible is not a book. The Bible is a collection of books. Did you guys know that? The Bible's not a book. The Bible's a collection of books. It's more like an anthology or a library than it is a single book, okay? Um, In fact, the word Bible actually comes from the Greek word biblia, and that Greek word biblia means books, plural, not book, singular. It literally means multiple books that are all gathered together. So even the name says, hey, this is a collection of books. In fact, it's a collection of how many books? Anybody have any idea? Did anybody want to show off this morning, get a gold star? 66. Boom. Somebody's been to Sunday school. All right. 66 books of the Bible. How many are Old Testament? I didn't do the quiz in the first service because I know they're not as smart as you. How many are in the Old Testament? Don't tell them I said that. We're not live streaming this service. Uh, How many are in the Old Testament? 39. How many are in the New Testament? 27. Now, so we've got these two divisions of the Bible, Old Testament and New Testament. Do you guys know the difference between Old and New Testament? Super simple. Yeah. Literally, everything that happened in the Old Testament occurred before the birth of Jesus. And everything in the New Testament occurred after the birth of Jesus. That's the only difference. It's really simple. Now, there are 66 different books of the Bible, Old and New Testament. There are about 40 different authors that wrote, like Paul and Moses and Isaiah, 40 different people that wrote what we now know as the Bible. And they, uh, they wrote over a period of about 1,600 years. That means that most of the people that wrote stuff that got included in the Bible never knew each other. They never met. It's not like they were hanging out and they were like, so what do you think about this verse I'm writing? And what did you write over there? Because I don't want to contradict what you were. They didn't know each other. They came from different countries. They actually spoke different languages. The original books of the Bible were written in three ancient languages that were eventually translated into English for us, thank God. Um, So we've got this ancient book that was written over the course of a millennia and a half by all kinds of different people from all sorts of different cultures. Now, I want you to compare that view of our 
book, our library, to a modern holy book. Like, for example, the Book of Mormon. If uh, Mormon missionaries ever come and knock on your door uh, and you ask them about their holy books, they're going to start to tell you about the Book of Mormon. And according to them, in the 1800s, there was a 17-year-old boy named Joseph Smith, and he was out in the woods walking around one day, and an angel appeared to him out of nowhere. And the angel handed him an armload of golden tablets, and these golden tablets were the Book of Mormon. It was in full and completed form. All people had to do was translate it, and boom, there is the Bible. So you see that, like, that view of the Bible, it literally just drifts out of heaven for us in perfect and completed form, is quite different from what what Christians know to be true of our scripture, that it was written by a lot of different people over a long period of time in different languages and from different cultures. So look, although people call the Bible the good book, more accurately, it should be called the good library because it is a collection of a bunch of different books that are all bound together for our convenience. Now, I know you're like, okay, cool, cool, cool. That's good. Yeah. All right. But so what? Like, how is this going to make any difference to me? That doesn't seem to transform my view of the Bible. It really can. So what I want to do this morning is I want to give you three principles that flow out of the truth that the Bible is a library, not a book. Three practical things that will change your approach to the scriptures. So here's the very first one, okay? The, Bible's not a, the Bible is a library, not a book. So here's the first truth. Libraries don't have a beginning. Libraries don't have a beginning. So let's Pretend for a moment that I go up to Indigo Bookstore at the Cross Iron Mills Mall, okay? So I walk in, and I'm wandering up and down the different shelves, and finally a bookstore employee spots me, and they wander over, and they're like, hey, sir, can I help you? And I'm like, yeah, one of my New Year's resolutions for 2022 is to read more. And of course, because they're a bookstore employee, they smile, and they're like, that's a great resolution. I wish everybody would make that resolution. And I'm like, yeah. So I gesture at this giant warehouse full of books, like floor to ceiling, wall to wall, books everywhere. And I'm like, so I guess I'm wondering, which one of these should I read first? What do you think the bookstore employee is going to say? They're not going to take me over to one book and say, well, this is book number one in the library. You have to start here. And then book number two is right here. And the next one is book three. Book four is way on the other side. We probably should keep them all together. But anyway, here's one, here's two, here's three, here's four. There's no order. Libraries don't have a beginning. You can literally walk into a bookstore, you can pull any book off the shelf and begin reading. The bookstore employee is going to ask questions like, well, what have you read in the past? What are you interested in learning or reading? Because you can literally start anywhere at any book with a library. The Bible is the exact same way. It is a library and not a book. Now, if the Bible is a book, that means that you need to start at page number one, Genesis 1-1, and you need to read all the way through to Revelation 22, because that's how you read a modern book, right? Some of you have tried that. I tried that originally, too. Let me tell you what happened, and some of you guys will be like, yep, that was my experience, too. You start reading the book of Genesis, and you're like, okay, this is weird. It's full of a lot of names that I can't pronounce, places I'm unfamiliar with, but I kind of get the gist of it. I think I'm tracking what's going on here. Not so bad. You make it through 50 chapters in the book of Genesis, and you're like, not too shabby for old Daniel. Then you move on to the book of Exodus, and you find out that Exodus is kind of like a standalone sequel to the first book. And you're like, oh, I can totally. Moses, like Pharaoh, let my people go, fleeing through the Red Sea. This is like a cool action movie. Actually, this is not too bad. Then you get to the book of Leviticus, okay? <laughs> and when you hit Leviticus, it's like, you're reading just, it grinds to a halt. 
because the writings in the book of Leviticus are so different than the writings that came before it. And you're like frustrated and confused and you don't know what you're supposed to do. You wanna skip ahead, but then like you're not really sure if you can do that. Maybe you're gonna miss something important. Like if you're reading the Lord of the Rings, right? And you got stuck in a particular spot and you jumped ahead, you might miss the part where the Balrog of Moria kills Gandalf and then the rest of the story makes no sense. So you don't wanna skip something important in the book of Leviticus, but you don't wanna read the book of Leviticus. So what do you do? You're frustrated. What most people do is they put the Bible down and they never pick it up again. That's what most people do. See, if you're new to the scripture, you've got to know the Bible is a library and not a book. And a book you have to start on page one and read through, but a library you can go in and you can pluck any book off the shelf and begin reading there if you want to. So if you are new to the scripture or if you want to pick up the Bible for the first time in a long time, maybe the worst way to read it is to start in Genesis and then try to go straight through. Instead, I would encourage you to jump into the New Testament. Like, go read the book of Matthew or Mark. Go read the book of Ephesians. If you took an edible, go read the book of Revelation. I mean, it's like, no, I'm kidding. It's a joke, guys. It's just a joke. It's just a joke. You can start somewhere else because it's not a book. It's a library. It's not a book. It's a library. Okay. Um, so that's the first point. Bible's a library, not a book, and libraries don't have a beginning. Here's the second principle that flows out of that. Libraries contain various genres of writing, and you don't read all of those genres the same way. You don't read every type of book in the same way. So again, let's picture ourselves back at Indigo at the bookstore, and you're walking around, and you notice that the library is divided up into sections. All the types of books are grouped together. So over here, we've got the sci-fi novels, and over there, you've got the travel guides, and over there are the dictionaries, and back in that far corner are the historical biographies, right? And you know that if you're going to pick one of those types of writing, the way or the, the genre that it is is going to dictate the way that you read it. So you don't read a sci-fi novel the same way that you read a dictionary. They're two different kinds of books. The genre dictates the way that you read. And the same is true of the Bible. You guys, there are 66 different books, but there are a bunch of different kinds of genres that these books fall into. And there are different types of writings, even within the same book sometimes. And so knowing the type of writing can help you to make sense out of what you're reading. Because if you ignore the genre of whatever it is that you're reading in the Bible, it's just going to leave you frustrated and confused. You know, a moment ago, I talked to you about hitting the wall in the book of Leviticus, right? Like Genesis, good. Exodus, good. Then you hit the book of Leviticus and you can't go any further. Do you know why that is? That's because Genesis and Exodus are narrative stories. They have a plot, they have characters, a development, they have tension and climax, and they have a release. They have all the things that make for a good story. But do you know what the book of Exodus actually, or the book of Leviticus actually is? It is literally a list of the ancient laws of Israel. That's it. So no wonder when you get to it, you're like, oh. But this is so different. It's a little bit like reading the Outlander series, okay? So you're reading the Outlander books and you read the first book and you read the second book and everything's cool. And then you get to the third book and it's literally just a reprinting of every single law that Jamie and Claire had to live under in the 18th century. That's all it is. Now, that might be helpful to understand what they were going through and why things happened the way that they did. But you, that whole illustration was just for you, babe. Um, that... <laughs> 
It would be helpful to know, but you wouldn't read that book of law code the way that you would read a science fiction book or a historical biography, all right? So the Bible is a library, and the library contains different genres of writing. The genre dictates how you might read. Now, we're going to dive into this more next week, okay? So I don't want to spend too much longer here, but I do want to give you an example of how understanding the genre can help you to make sense of the Bible. So I'm going to put an image here on the screen. Most of you are not going to be able to see this. This is why you should sit towards the front of the auditorium on Sundays. But those of you guys in the back, I'll kind of describe what's going on here. We have an illustration called Bible Bookcase. And essentially what it is, is like a bookcase with the 66 books of the Bible. And they're all grouped together and listed by category or genre of writing. And so you're going to see that there's like New Testament history. It's the book of Acts, right? That is literally a history of the early church. There's prophecy. That's the book of Revelation. There's general letters down here. And you'll notice up in the corner, we have this section called poetry or wisdom literature, poetry and wisdom literature. And one of the books that's on there is the book of Proverbs. Now, if you were to go to Google and you were to type in Bible contradictions, again, you would get a big list of websites full of all kinds of supposedly contradictory verses in the Bible. And one of the ones that's going to be at the very, very top of every single one of those lists is from the book of Proverbs. Let me show you what it is. If you were to look in Proverbs chapter number 24, I believe it is. Can we put that on the screen, please? 26. If you look at Proverbs 26 and you read verse 4 and then you read verse number 5, literally these verses are on top of each other in the Bible, you would see this. Verse 4 says, do not answer the foolish arguments of foolish people, or you will become as foolish as they are. Then verse number 5 says, be sure to answer the foolish arguments of fools, or they will become wise in their own estimation. Okay, which is it, Solomon? People outside of the faith, people that, you know, don't understand the Bible, they'll be like, how dumb are you guys? Like, do you not even know that this is in there? Literally, one verse says do it, the very next verse says doesn't. How can you say there are no contradictions in the Bible? You don't even read the scriptures. Okay, if you understand the genre of the book of Proverbs, then you understand why this is not contradictory, and you can make sense out of these two verses being back-to-back. So if this is a law book, like the, the book of Leviticus, for instance, it is literally a list of you must do this, you must not do that, then this verse, these two verses make no sense, and they are contradictory, and Solomon's an idiot for writing them, and every Bible editor is an idiot for leaving them in there. Like, we could have clipped one of these out a long time ago and solved one of those Bible contradictions. Why didn't we do that? Because we know the genre impacts the reading. It it determines the way that you um, understand these verses. So we told you that Proverbs is wisdom literature. Wisdom literature is just this, sage advice that leads to virtuous living. It's wisdom or good advice that shows you how to live a good life. That's all it is. So what the Bible is saying here is there are times in which you need to confront the foolishness of foolish people. There are times that needs to happen. And then there are other times that you just need to keep scrolling and mind your own business. Both of those things are true. It's not a contradiction because it's not literally saying every time answer them, every time don't answer them. It's saying there is a time to do it and a time not to do it. The genre can help you to understand what's going on with the Bible. And I'm telling you guys, like, 
So many of the, there are some difficult passages and there are some ones that might, that, that take a lot more reading and understanding in order to make sense out of them. But most of the Bible contradictions that you're going to find on websites and stuff like that are stupid like this. They just don't make any sense if you give it any sort of thought at all. When you go to grab a book at the library, you pay attention to what shelf you pulled that book off of so that you know what you're getting. It's the exact same thing with the Bible. You pay attention to the type of book you're reading so that you know what to expect. Now, I know some of you are like, cool, Dan, but I have no clue like what section of the library this particular book belongs in. That's why we give you these Bibles. You know, this Bible right here is literally straight text. It's like there's nothing else but Bible verses in it. This one is a little bit different because there are all these articles that help you to understand what you're reading. And if you go to the first page of any book of the Bible, um, you're going to find a huge introduction to the passage. And it's going to say, if you're reading First and Second Timothy, here's who wrote it, here's when they wrote it, here's why they wrote it, here's what they're trying to accomplish, here's what you should know about it. All of that helpful information is there to give you the proper perspective about which shelf you're pulling the book off, so to speak. That's why we make these available. In fact, if you're here and you don't have a Bible, before you leave today, all you have to do is go to the guest center and say, Pastor Dan said I could have a free Bible. You can have this for free. We give them away every single week. We gave away like five of them in the first service. We're going to give away a bunch more today. Make sure that you take a copy of this Bible home because it will help you to make sense out of things like the genre. Okay, the Bible's a library. It's not a book. Libraries don't have a beginning and libraries have different genres of writings in them. The final principle that I want you to know is that libraries do not have to agree on every detail. Libraries do not have to agree on every detail. Now, some of you are like, wait, 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 wait. Is he trying to say the Bible contradicts itself? No, I'm not. Calm down, okay? I'm not saying that. Stay with me here. One more time, let's imagine we go to Indigo, to the bookstore. Actually, what I was planning on doing this week was taking my cell phone and like putting it in my pocket and secretly recording and doing like this little thing where I go and ask all these questions to the, and then I was like, nah, I'm not gonna bother these poor people. COVID and stuff, man. So, okay, imagine we're at the bookstore, all right? We go back to the library and I grabbed, I've got two books in my hand storm up to the cashier, and I'm very clearly mad, and the cashier is like, sir, what's wrong? Can I help you? And I'm like, yeah, last week I was in here, and I bought two books on World War II from you guys, two different books, and I read them over the Christmas break, and you know what I found out? This book has a speech in it from Winston Churchill that this book doesn't even mention. It's like not even there. It's like they're saying it doesn't even happen. How is it that you guys can sell two different books that don't agree with each other about World War II? That's ridiculous. All right, if I said that to a cashier at Indigo, the first thing they would say to me is, sir, calm down or we're gonna call security. But the second thing that they would say is, dude, not every book in the library is gonna agree on every single detail. That doesn't mean that they're contradicting each other. It just means that they might choose to include or emphasize some details that another author might not. So for example, this book might include a speech by Winston Churchill because it was written by an Englishman. And this one might not include the speech by Churchill because it was written by an American and they think they're the only ones that matter. There's a reason. The author is trying to highlight what they think is important at any given moment. Now notice... This guy said a speech happened by Churchill. This guy doesn't say, Churchill never gave that speech. He doesn't say that. 
He just chooses not to talk about that particular speech because he doesn't think it's important to the story he's trying to tell. The same is true of the Bible. There are things that are recorded in books of the Bible. So there are books of the Bible that tell the same event from a different perspective or with a different author. And they will include details that other authors and writers do not include. So a good example of this is the book of John. If you go read the book of John, the first miracle that Jesus does is to turn water into wine. It's like everybody's favorite miracle. Except the Baptists, they think that he turned wine into water. But anyway, he really turned water into wine. I'm Baptist, I'm allowed to say. Water into wine. It's a big miracle. It's the first one he ever did. John devotes a lot of space to this particular miracle and the things that happened in it. But if you go read the book of Luke, Luke never mentions it. Why? Why doesn't Luke spend time telling us about this amazing miracle that John does? Why don't they agree? Why aren't they telling the same story? But understand that the authors are both trying to communicate true things, but are a little bit different. So John is trying to communicate the deity of Jesus, that he is God incarnate, that he has power over nature. He is bigger than any of our problems, including our sinfulness. Luke, on the other hand, is more taken with the fact that Jesus was a man just like me and you, and so he's highlighting his humanity. So John devotes a lot of time to miracles. Luke devotes a lot of time to teaching the things that Jesus said. Now, are they in contradiction? No, Luke never said, Jesus didn't turn water to wine. What's that guy talking about? He just doesn't mention it. So you see how they don't agree on every single detail, but they're also not in contradiction with each other. In fact, it's the fact that we have multiple different perspectives on these stories that gives us the full picture. If, there, if both of these agreed completely in every single detail, we don't need both of them. We only need one. So there's value in having multiple. Everybody realizes that libraries do not have to agree on every single detail. And the Bible is a library, so it is no different. One more time, for those of you guys in the back, I want to save you an email. I'm not saying the Bible contradicts itself. We're going to talk about that more. All right, let's wrap this thing up. 2 Timothy chapter number 3, verse 15, such an amazing verse. 2 Timothy 3, 15, there's a guy named Paul. He wrote a whole bunch of the New Testament. He's writing a letter to a young pastor named Timothy. And so he says in 2 Timothy 3, 15, you have been taught the Holy Scriptures from childhood, and they have given you wisdom to receive the salvation that comes by trusting in Christ Jesus. I love this verse so much because it highlights what the Bible has to offer us, wisdom. You know one of the biggest problems we have in 2022 is that we all have the knowledge of God and we don't have the wisdom of God. You can know anything there is to know in the world. Literally any fact that humanity knows, you have the capacity to know that right now. You have the capacity to know like atomic theory and string theory. You have the capacity to know what your second cousin had for lunch last week. You have the ability, you have the knowledge of God in a very real sense, but we're missing the wisdom of God. The scriptures offer us wisdom. 
I don't know about you, but I desperately need more wisdom. I don't need more information. I need wisdom. That's why I told you my goal is not to help you to know the Bible better. My goal is to help you fall in love with the Bible because the Bible has the power to transform your life. Yes, your spiritual life, but also your relational life and your mental life and your financial life and your church life and everything that goes along with it. The Bible gives us the wisdom that we need. That's why I love it, and that's why I want you to love it as well. So here's my question for you. When was the last time that you read the Bible? When was the last time that you read the Bible? For some of you, you're like, actually, I read it this morning. Well, way to go. Gold star. Good job. I love it. That's awesome. Seriously. Some of you are like, yeah, I think I read it last year at some point, you know? Some of you say, oh, gosh, it's been a long time. And some of you would say, never. I've just, I've never actually even tried. I just, you know, I see the Bible verses on the screen on Sunday, and that's kind of the extent of my Bible reading. Okay. If that's you, I want to challenge and encourage you to crack it open and to start reading, to read it with the principles that we've talked about so far in mind, that it's a library, that you don't have to start Genesis, you can go start somewhere else, that it's going to contain different types of writing, and so you, lit- you don't take everything as a literal rule that you read in the Bible, and that... Um, what was the last point? I just lost my... There we go. They don't have to agree on every single detail, okay? So don't get hung up on all this little stuff. Like, what's the main story? What's the main truth? What's the point that's being communicated both in the books and the verses themselves? When was the last time you read the Bible? Or, or maybe we could ask it this way. When was the last time that we read the Bible regularly? Because like you might have sat through a sermon and some pastor got up on stage and he guilt-tripped you and he asked you hard questions like, when was the last time you even read the Bible, dude? Um, And so you go home and you're like, oh, I need to read the Bible. And so you crack it open and you read it once. But when was the last time we read the Bible regularly, right? We made it a point to stay in it in an ongoing sort of way. So here's what I want to do. I want to challenge everybody that's here in two ways. The first is um, I want to challenge each of you to read from the Bible every single day for the next seven days. Seven days is all I'm asking. That's it. Now, if you come back next Sunday, I'm going to ask you to do seven more. But anyway, that's okay. For now, all you got to do is seven days. That's all I'm asking is seven days. In fact, we're all going to read the exact same thing. We're going to start in the book of Mark. And the goal is to read one chapter a day, one chapter of the book of Mark every single day. Now, some of you are not going to be able to read one chapter a day. That's okay. Read what you can. If you can only read one verse and you start in Mark 1 1, you're going to find out that you need a little more. So you're going to keep reading because, you know, it's tough to make sense out of just one verse all by itself. Anyway, we're going to read together. And if you can't do a whole chapter, do what you can. The point is, you read some from the Bible every single day. Now, I did a little bit of checking in this particular uh, Bible that we give out. You'll find out that most chapters of the Bible are about one to one and a half pages long, okay? So even if you're a slow reader, and there's nothing wrong with being a slow reader at all, some of the, some of the, some of the least classically or formally educated people I know are the deepest in their reading of the Word. You do not need a degree to read the Bible. Okay, anyway. Even if you're a slow reader, you can finish off a chapter Actually, you could finish off multiple chapters, probably three or four, in the time it would take you to watch one more rerun of The Office. Hello. Okay? 
We all know the jokes anyway. We're literally saying them as Michael Scott says them. We know what he's going to say. So why not go for something that's new, that's fresh, something that's helpful, okay? You could read one chapter a day without any difficulty at all, and we're all going to be reading it together, and we'll readdress it when we come back next week. That's your homework. Mark chapter number one from, uh, from now on. Okay. The last thing we want you to do is something that it's not really a challenge, it's a gift. And it's something that we've done for the past, I don't know, four years or so here at Connect Church. On the first Sunday of the new year that we are together, we always print a Bible verse and stick it under your chair. So you are currently sitting on a Bible verse right now. So go ahead and reach under your chair. You're going to find a piece of paper with a verse or two. It might be a small section of verses that's uh, taped to the bottom of your chair. And here's what I want you to know. Here's what I want you to know. You sat in the chair you sat in today because the Holy Spirit knew that you needed that verse. You're like, no, no, I sat in the chair I sat in today because the usher walked me over and sat me here. No, the Holy Spirit was guiding the usher to put you in that seat. You needed that particular verse. I've got mine right here. Simone, who put all of these together, gave me a really long one because she's like, you're the pastor, you can handle this, bro. So anyway, I've got mine here. Let me tell you something. In 2020, okay, so we want you to keep these. Somehow or another, God is going to show you how important this verse is to you in the next year. He really is. So in 2020, I pulled mine off the seat when we were over at the Cineplex, and uh, it was, you know, the passage from 1 Timothy that said, God has not given us a spirit of fear, but a sound mind. And I was like, I don't have a spirit of fear. I don't get it. It's 2020. It's a new decade. I am stoked and hyped. We've got big plans this year. This is going to be our year. So why am I getting a verse that's talking about having a spirit of fear? Then March hit, and I was like, oh. Some of you are not going to figure out what this means until March, maybe even summer. I don't know. But if you will hold on to this, if you'll tape it on your bathroom mirror next to that mustard seed I gave you a few weeks ago, or if you will put it on your dashboard in your car, if you'll leave it on your desk at work, if you'll put it somewhere that you continue to see it, I just 100% with every fiber in my being, God will show you why you received this verse this morning. In the end, you guys, I want you to ingest the Bible. I want you to integrate it into your life because the Bible is like food. It is nourishment. Listen, it'll keep you going when everybody else around you is falling. It'll keep your tank filled. It'll keep you feeling spiritually alive. When you don't feel like everything is going so well, these words will be the wisdom that you need to keep going. But you will not discover the wisdom that's in the scripture until you actually spend some time reading it. Mm -hmm.